0: One of the most uh, difficult challenges for any human being is learning how to communicate to others, making sure that others are really hearing what you're trying to say to them. Because it's little things like the tone of your voice, the look on your face, the way you hold your hands, the way you shrug your shoulders. Little things like that that can either help or hinder in getting your message across. For example, I heard about this woman who was standing in a jewelry store one day and she was staring at this bracelet, this expensive bracelet. And the more she looked at it, the more she wanted to buy it. So she took a picture and she texted her husband, what do you think? Looks nice, doesn't it? Would it be okay to buy it? And he texted back, no, period, price too high. Don't even think about it. It's way out of our league. That's way beyond our budget. We shouldn't even be talking about this. We can't afford something like that. But here's the problem. When he texted his message, he forgot to put the period in. So instead of his wife hearing him say, no, we can't do that, here's what she read, no price too high, meaning go for it, hey, you're worth it, nothing's too expensive for the love of my life. So guess what his wife did, she bought the bracelet, just one tiny dot, one little mark, and because the husband forgot to include that in his communication, it changed his message completely. Well, Jesus is going to talk about that very thing in the Scripture that we're going to study today, how if you change your altar just one stroke of the pen or one jot on the page, you can end up completely twisting and distorting and misrepresenting what God's trying to communicate to us. So to make sure that doesn't happen, Jesus gives this teaching on how to read your Bible. There's a right way to read this book, and there's a wrong way to read this book. And if you really want to hear what God's trying to say to us, you need to make sure you're reading this book the right way. Let's say you're downtown Indy and it's a beautiful evening and you just finished eating at this nice restaurant. Now you're out in the streets and ready to do some shopping. And yet, as you're walking down the sidewalk, all of a sudden you hear somebody shouting, Freeze! Freeze! Put your hands behind your head. How do you respond to the message? Well, it depends who's saying this and who are they saying it to. If it's a police officer who's shouting that command, man, you take his word seriously because he has the authority to issue a command like that. But then you notice that he's not looking at you, he's looking at the guy who just robbed the restaurant where you were eating and he's now trying to get away. So even though the words of the police officer carry a lot of weight with you, right now it's causing your heart to beat really fast, you realize in that instant, that's not a command for you to obey because he's not addressing you, he's talking to somebody else. Well, so it is in the Bible. One afternoon I'm reading the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and, and I hear him say, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And right away, I know here's a principle I need to take to heart because I go through hard times. And like Timothy, I'm trying to follow Jesus. So here's a command that I need to obey. But then I flip over a couple pages and, and I hear the Apostle Paul make another request. This time he says, Timothy, come before winter, meaning come to the city of Rome and help me out. And, and Timothy, when you come, bring my coat and bring the parchments too, meaning bring the books. Well, now I'm reading a command that was only meant for Timothy to obey. That was a request made of him, not of me. So does that mean I can just skip that verse and not give it any kind of consideration at all? No, because every part of the Bible is important. Every part of the Bible is to be taken seriously. It's just it doesn't all apply in the same way. Like this command that Paul gave to Timothy, hey, come before winter and bring my coat and bring the books. I'm not expected to obey that command. That was a request made of Timothy, not of me. But here's what I am expected to do. I'm expected to learn from that. Well, what do I learn? Well, number one, I learned even at the end of his life, here's Paul, he's still learning and growing. He needs those books because he needs to continue to read and study, to continue to enlarge and expand his grasp of God's will for his life. See, when you're a disciple of Jesus, you never get to that point in your experience where you can say, hey, I got everything I need. I have arrived and don't need anything more. I can just coast from here. Uh-uh. No matter how many years you've been following Jesus, there's always going to be more. So much more that you have yet to discover and experience and learn and understand. And then a second thing I can learn from that command, that request that Paul made of Timothy, hey, come before winter, bring my coat, bring my books, is this. Even the great apostle Paul could not serve Jesus by himself. He needed to have a friend at his side, a friend like Timothy, and we do too. So you see, even though that particular verse of Scripture was not directly addressed to me, I can still benefit from it because it helps me better understand what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. So the point is this, every part of the Bible is helpful in some ways, just that we need to understand what kind of help is being offered to us. And that's why we need this guidance from Jesus. What does Jesus say about how to read your Bible? Let's take a look. We're just going to focus on one verse this morning. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's a way of referring to the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, I-, I didn't come here to abolish that part of the word of God. I didn't come here to just toss it aside and treat it like I had no significance anymore because that's so not true. I mean, just look at the life of Jesus himself. I mean, ever since he was a boy, this, the Old Testament, that's the Bible he used. That- that's the book that he read and studied. These were the stories that he knew. These were the songs that he would sing. This is the book that he would memorize and quote throughout his, his entire life. This is the book that he used when he had his battle against Satan. He's out there in the desert going through all those temptations. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And then think about when he's on the cross, slowly suffocating, gasping for air. His brain just bursting with pain. How did he endure that awful suffering? Well, notice what he's doing while he's on the cross. He's repeating and praying the words and the thoughts and the teachings of the Old Testament. And then think about this. The Old Testament is the Bible that the early church used when they traveled around the world to preach the gospel, to tell their people how God intended to save us. That's the scripture that they used. They quoted from books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Isaiah in order to get their message across. So you see, this part of the Bible is not for us to put on the shelf and ignore and say, hey, don't bother with the Old Testament anymore. That, 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 That doesn't have any significance for us at all. That's not so. It does have significance. Great significance. But in what way is it significant? Well, notice the last part of this verse. Jesus said, He said, I've not come to abolish the Old Testament. I've not come to do away with that part of God's Word. Here's what I have come to do. I've come to take what you read back there and fulfill it. Now, here's the picture. It's what I see Rob and Sarah doing all the time with their children. You know, we're in a restaurant. We're sitting at the table. We're waiting for the food to arrive. And so in order to fill in the time to to give the kids something to do while we're waiting, Rob and Sarah will each grab a pencil. And they'll take a piece of paper and they'll begin to draw a sketch. You know, just a simple outline of some animal their children love or some cartoon character they see on TV. And once they finish the sketch, then they hand the paper to Caleb, Abby, and Luke, and then they'll hand them some crayons so they can color it in, fill out the picture, and make the picture complete. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus did for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says the law meaning the Old Testament the law is simply a shadow of the good things yet to come it's not the reality itself in other words in the Old Testament in the Old Testament we have the sketch the pencil sketch here's the hint here's the outline of all the good things yet to come but it's Jesus who adds the color it's Jesus who fills out the portrait it's Jesus who makes that picture complete and shows us what that picture was really supposed to look like Well, how exactly does that happen how exactly does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament well, he did it in a number of different ways. Number one, in the Old Testament, we have prophecies, uh, promises about the coming Messiah. How once he arrived, here's what he would say and here's what he was going to do. So when the wise men arrive in the city of Jerusalem and they inquire of King Herod, where, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Well, it was the scribes who helped Herod and the wise men understand the it was The scribes who opened up their scrolls, their Old Testament. And they read, well, according to the prophet Micah, he's to be born in the town of Bethlehem. And the same kind of thing happens over and over again throughout the life of Jesus. That's why all the way through the book of Matthew, you keep coming across this phrase. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. And then Matthew will mention some part of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we find the promise. But in Jesus, we see the promise coming true. That's one of the ways Jesus took the Old Testament and, and colored things in and filled out the picture. Here's another way. Back in the Old Testament, you have ceremonies, live dramas, where things were acted out in front of the people so they could see with their own eyes how God intended to deal with our sin. For example, the Day of Atonement It's described for us in Leviticus chapter 16. Here's the high priest. He's standing in front of the whole congregation of Israel, and he's got a goat at his side. It's not just any kind of goat. It's, it's referred to as a scapegoat. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the word azazel, azazel. It's a word that literally means take away, to take away. Well, the people realize that the whole congregation of Israel, they're watching the priest and the goat and they realize some way, somehow, he's gonna use this goat to send their sins away. How does that happen? The, The priest will turn around and he will lay his hands on the head of that goat and he'll begin to confess all the sins that the people have committed. And then once he's done that, there's a man who's been designated to take this goat and lead him away. Take him outside of the camp. Take him far, far away from where the Israelites have pitched their tents. Take him way out here in the desert and release him so that you will never see that goat again. And through this live drama, this acted out ceremony, this symbolism, God is showing his people how he intends to carry away all their sin. Well, Leviticus chapter 16 is a shadow, where's the substance? In Leviticus chapter 16, we have the sketch, but where's the finished picture? Here's the promise, but how does God actually fulfill the promise? Well, now you turn from Leviticus chapter 16, the Old Testament, to the New Testament, John chapter 19, and here you see Jesus standing before a great congregation of Israelites, and he's about to be led away to a cross. And we hear the crowd that day shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate tries to reason with the people, crucify him. I find no fault in this man. What kind of crime has he committed? And now the crowd begins to shout, take him away, take him away. And if we'd been there that day, hearing him in the original language, we would have heard the people saying, Uzazel, Uzazel, take him away. And it's at that point that the soldiers lead Jesus outside of Jerusalem. They take him outside the camp. Now all the sins of all the people resting on his head. And it's there at the cross the promise is fulfilled. It's there at the cross we see Jesus carrying away our sins. Now we see that, now we see Jesus taking that sketch that we first saw there in Leviticus chapter 16, and here at the cross, he's filling in and filling out that picture. Another way that Jesus takes the Old Testament and fills it full, kind of caps it off as this, Jesus will teach us, in some of his teachings, he will teach us there are certain parts of the Old Testament that are no longer apply. Its purpose has already been served. For example, back in the Old Testament, God required that his people not eat pork or rabbit or shrimp or eel. Why? Because under the Old Covenant, this old arrangement that God had with his people, God God had put his people in one particular spot, one place, the land of Israel. And in order for them to really stand out to all the other nations of the world and get their attention, God asked his people to live in a very unique, in a very distinctive kind of way. Part of that had to do with the way they dressed, the kind of clothes they wore. They didn't dress like anybody else. And part of that had to do with the food that they ate, the kind of diet that they maintained. God said, eat this, not eat that. They had a very unique diet, different from everybody else. God wanted to set his people apart. Well, now we're under a new covenant, a new kind of relationship with God. And now under this new covenant, God's people have taken on a new shape, a whole new look. Now we're not just confined to one spot on this planet. No, God's people, they're a universal people. You find them in all tribes, nations, and languages. So Jesus comes along and says, part of what was required of God back here in the Old Testament, it's no longer necessary. You know, like that diet plan they gave, it's no longer necessary to maintain a diet like that. It's already served its purpose. So Jesus comes along and declares that all foods should be considered clean. Now here's what I find interesting, even though Jesus takes some parts of the Old Testament and declares its purpose has been fulfilled, it's no longer necessary to obey that, yet at the same time Jesus will take other parts of the Old Testament and expand it and intensify it, which is exactly what you see Jesus doing here in Matthew chapter five, especially the last part of this chapter. Six different times you're gonna hear Jesus say, you've heard that it's been said, but I say to you, and each time he's going to take some command, some teaching that we find back in the Old Testament, and he's going to enlarge it and give us a much deeper understanding of God, what God really meant when he first issued that command. Like you come down here to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, do not murder. You've heard that talked about a lot. Well, Jesus says, I want you to understand what God really meant. We're not just talking about a physical act of violence. Murder is not just something you do with your hands. It's something that begins in the heart. It's a problem that comes from the inside out. And if you don't address the problem here, you're never going to fix the problem out here. Same way you get down to verse 27 and Jesus says there's more to committing adultery than just the outward act of unfaithfulness. Jesus says you want to deal with adultery, you first of all got got to address the lust that is in your heart. And that's why when Jesus says, why he says what he says there in verse 20 says unless your righteousness exceeds far surpasses greatly surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven what is he talking about scribes and Pharisees they were the most pious men of the day nobody tried harder than they to do things right but here's what Jesus meant that the scribes and the Pharisees they were all the time focusing on the external the outward acts and Jesus says I want your righteousness to exceed and surpass them in this sense focus on the heart make things right here Now, here's what I want you to notice. In all this teaching that Jesus is giving, He's modeling for us how you read the Old Testament. Jesus is showing us when when you read something, some verse, some story, some command, don't just look at the verse. Step back and consider the bigger picture. Realize there's more to that command. There's more to that story. There's more to that teaching than what you first see. So, for example, say one day you're doing your devotions, And you're reading the story of Jacob there in Genesis chapter 27 and you see how Jacob tricks his dad tricks his father Isaac tricks him into giving him the family blessing and how does he do it he he does it by using a goat and a coat and you think to yourself how deceitful man Jacob how unkind to do that to your dad we shouldn't act like that and you're right but there's more to the story than that so you read on You read on so you can get the bigger picture. So a couple days later in your devotional reading, now you've gotten all the way to Genesis chapter 37. And now you see that Jacob has children of his own. And now you see his sons one day tricking him. Tricking him into thinking that his son Joseph is dead. And how do they pull it off? They use a goat and a coat. And all of a sudden, a much deeper truth is revealed. You will reap what you sow. What goes around? comes around be sure of this your sins will find you out or how about you come to 2nd Kings chapter 2 and there you see Elisha he comes to the city of Jericho and the people tell them about their man we got troubles here our water's contaminated it's killing our crops it's killing our citizens Elisha you got to help us out and he does Elisha gets a brand new bowl he puts some salt in it he tosses it in the spring and the Bible says immediately the water is healed Now, on the surface, as you look at that story, you think to yourself, oh, there's a simple act of benevolence. Here's Elisha. He does a good deed and he helps the people of Jericho. Oh, but there's so much more to the story than that. Step back and look at the bigger picture. See, for the longest time, the city of Jericho has been under a curse. Joshua chapter 6, ever since that point, Joshua chapter 6, cursed before the Lord is anyone who tries to rebuild this city. And then you see that curse coming through, true in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 34. But now, 2 Kings chapter 2, now because of Elisha and what he's done with the water, now a place that had been cursed has now become a place of blessing. A place of death has now become a place of life. A place that was once under God's judgment has now become a place where people can once again experience the grace of God. And I don't know about you, but that sure sounds like the gospel to me. See, because of Jesus, because of what we read in the New Testament, now when we go back to the Old Testament, we get a much deeper and richer understanding of what's really happening there. Man went on a cruise to Alaska, and when he came back, he said the thing that impressed him the most were the flowers. He said, man, the flowers in Alaska are huge. Every plant up there is just immense. Why, even the dandelions stand two feet tall. So he said he talked to the people up there in Alaska. How do you do it? Is it the fertilizer? What's your secret? How do you make everything grow so big? And he said the people up in Alaska said to him, it's got nothing to do with us. Here's the answer, and they pointed it up. It's the sun. In Alaska, the sun will shine for 20 hours a day. And with that much exposure to that much light, anything's going to get bigger and stronger. Well, that's the lesson that Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount. You want your heart to become bigger in love, stronger in patience you want your life to stand taller with integrity you want your life to shine more brightly with godliness here's the answer you've got to spend more time in the Sun not the s-u-n but the s-o-n and it's through this book through this book that he shines his light